<laughs> Dang it. I, there's once in a while I forget to do that right off the bat. Um, but anyway, sorry, I digress. The Davidic figure is, is heavily motifed in um, ancient David, but uh, we can see throughout many of those things, he'll be called wonderful counselor, like Father Abraham, how he, Abraham counseled with Lot and, and in many different things. He, he counseled with uh, Pharaoh of, of Egypt. He counseled with the king of Gerar, etc. He was a wonderful counselor, uh, one mighty in valor, like, like Moses. Uh, a father forever, again, like like Abraham, prince of peace, uh, like Melchizedek. I mean, we have many different uh, types and shadows that this end time servant is going to embody, but also Christ, because all prophets point to Christ. And um, anyway, it, just some amazing verses that Isaiah is pulling out here to give us hope in this future Davidic servant that will come and rescue the people. Um, so again, we're going to go back to our uh, structures up here. And so we were just looking in the four agents and we drilled down to the Davidic figure. But now let's look at the roles that they're going to play and the events that are going to, to transpire there. So the three redemptive roles, we see the, the roles of releasing Yahweh's people from bondage bringing about their return from throughout the earth, so the gathering of Israel, and the facilitating of typological events of redemption. Uh, again, we see the, the references here, so we're just going to be focusing on facilitating um, for, for this week. Um, let's see, Mother, would you go ahead and read those? You're muted, by the way. Okay. But it shall not be gloomy to those who have been in anguish for her. In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulon and Naphtali. But at the last, he will exalt the sea route by the Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a bright light on the inhabitants of the land of the shadow of death has the light dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice at your presence as men rejoice at harvest time or as men are joyous when they divide the spoil. spoil. For you have smashed the yoke that burdened them, the staff of submission, the rod of those who subjected them as in the day of Midian's defeat. In that day, the sprig of Jesse, who stands for an ensign to the peoples, shall be sought by the nations, and his rest shall be glorious. In that day, my Lord will again raise his hand to reclaim the remnants of his people. Those who shall be left out of Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the islands of the seas. He will raise the ensign to the nations and assemble the exiled, exiled to, of Israel. He will gather the scattered of Judah from the four directions of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy shall, not, shall pass away and the hostile ones of 
Judah be cut off. Ephraim will not envy Judah, nor Judah resent Ephraim. But they will swoop on the Philistine flank toward the west and together plunder those to the east. They will take Edom and Moab at hand's reach and the Ammonites will obey them. So let's actually stop there. We've got quite a bit of stuff. Let's let's dive into to each of the, the verses here and what they, they're really meaning in reference to this new exodus, etc. So what are the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali? Let's look. Um, well, they were up north. Mm -hmm. They were some of the first that this Syria took. So of the, the map here, we have Jerusalem clear down here in, in the tribe of Benjamin, but we have Zebulun and Naphtali up here. Why doesn't it say Asher and Naphtali? Because that would make sense. Why is it Zebulun and Naphtali? As we see from here, but at last he will exalt the sea route by the Jordan in Galilee of the nations. So that's the route that the, the northern tribes fled up on as they were uh, going out through Zebulun and through Naphtali upon this, this like Sea of Galilee, that sea route up through there. That was something that was new to me as I was looking through it because uh, I had to look up exactly where Zebulun and Naphtali were. Um, but people walking in darkness have seen a bright light, uh, valley of the shadow of death kind of thing. We have some, some very interesting imagery there that he's delivering them and um, uh, very much like Moses level motifs here. So what can we learn from this verse about the, the Gideon story? Um, Gideon. Again, sometimes I go to Wikipedia for everything. It's probably not that great, but um, some of the things in here were, were very interesting. Um, again, on the, where Gideon, uh, he went on to send out messengers to gather together men from the tribes of Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. Again, those those northern uh, tribes there, as well as his own tribe of Manasseh. Um, but uh, I, I found that an interesting connection as well. Um, this night attack was, was quite interesting to me. So during the night, God instructed Gideon to approach the Midianite camp. There, Gideon overheard a Midianite man tell a friend of a dream in which a loaf of barley bread turned or tumbled into the camp of Midian, causing their tent or camp to collapse. This was interpreted as meaning that God had given the Midianites over to Gideon. Gideon returned to the Israelite camp and gave each of his men a trumpet and a clay jar with a torch hidden inside. Then they divided into three companies. Gideon and his 300 men marched on the enemy camp 
He instructed them to blow the horn, give battle cries, and light the torches, simulating an attack by a large force. As they did so, the Midianite army fled. So I found that night attack here very interesting in reference to, um, to what Isaiah is uh, referencing here. For you have smashed the yoke that burdened them, the staff of submission, the rod of those who subjected them, as in the day of Midian's defeat. Um, so, like I said, I'm pretty new to the, the Gideon story, but wasn't it um, this where Gideon raised an army, but it was too big. And so the, the Lord had him narrow it down and narrow it down again um, in, in waves so that it was only 300 men. Yeah, 300 men that marched on the enemy camp. Um, I, I found that that's interesting here in, in this part because it's God that's working this work. It's not the strength of men or the, or the hand of, of men. But um, when we rely on Jehovah, God, to, to deliver us, uh, he can do it with as little as 300 men. All he needed was 300 men at night uh, with those torches and trumpets to, to look like a big army kind of thing. Um, but then there's all of the other attack modes that uh, happen in for that defeat there. Anyway, I found that very interesting. That's interesting. And how that plays into the end times. I mean, the, the church is going to be relatively small compared to the, the vast armies that surround us kind of a thing. It was interesting how he picked the 300 and narrowed it down to there. And I believe the Lord told him to do this. But anyway, he had the men drink at the water there. And the ones that um, would drink carefully and look up and were watching around and seeing what was going on, those are the ones he chose. The ones that were just real thirsty and just, you know, their head down and taking care of their thirst you know they they didn't get picked it was the ones that were alert mm -hmm. that's yeah. interesting um so this little part of the paragraph is where it talks about that so the first thinning of the crowd was just anybody that's afraid go home kind of thing if, if you want to leave uh, you're more than welcome to do so and that reduced it from twenty-two thousand to ten thousand. And so, but yet with that number, God told Gideon that there were still too many and instructed them to bring them to the water like you're talking about. And so that was the, the second cull of the, the armies there. And so, um, yeah, those that lapped the water um, mm. raised to their mouth uh, by their hand was 300. Those that drank like dogs, uh, just lapping up the water head first kind of thing um, or were a lot less. And so, um, it, yeah, what does that all have to play into in the last times? You know, I think Isaiah is trying to kind of point us forward to uh, future imagery as well by using the Gideon story as if we already know it because he doesn't come out and say, you know, Gideon, but as in the day of Midian's defeat. Um, I didn't know it. So thank you for reading that for me. Uh, yeah, I didn't either. That was <laughs> before this like, week. I have to look up all these things. Yeah, but. Is there going to be a, a second or modern day kind of thing where the army's too big and we have to drop it down and drop it down uh, to the to the three hundred and 
and then that's what the the lord uses with the davidic servant in bringing about these this new exodus and the the new wanderings and the the new conquest is it's possible will that part though be over in israel that's a good question i don't know because we know that the servant is raised here in in america but as far as when or where this all happens and is typified that that's a great question because up here in the first but at the last meaning the very last time he will exalt the sea route by the jordan in galilee of the nations and so uh, maybe that's that's typifying a, a similar but different place um Avraham has talked about, not in this specific scenario, don't misquote me, but um, he talked about how interesting that the, the Utah corridor matches the Israelite corridor very closely right. and stuff. And maybe exalting that sea route there might play into it. I don't know. In his commentary of this section or anything, he didn't mention that at all. So I, I don't know if that would be a, a similar thing or not. Mm. Lots to think about. Yeah, for sure. There where it names all those different places, Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, you know. I live listening to Abraham's commentary and he, he says that just means everywhere. It's, oh, gonna, okay. It doesn't mean just those particular places. That just means they're going to be gathered from everywhere, all the four corners of there. Uh-huh. Because you have Assyria and Egypt in that known world. That was like the northernmost civilization and the southernmost civilization. Mm-hmm. The Pathros and Cush, west and east, Elam, Shinar, Hamath. Like, yeah, it's just kind of covering the whole known map there and the islands of the sea. You guys, what would we do without all this help to understand Isaiah? <laughs> I know. Sometimes it's really hard to even push past some of these verses. I know. Let's see. But yeah, we talked about this one in group A, but he will raise the ensign to the nations, meaning he will raise up that final Davidic servant um, and... Um, Harold uh, in the the armies here, those that are are scattered of Judah, from the four directions. But I found um, this very interesting. So Ephraim's jealousy shall pass away. So would you consider Ephraim to be jealous of Judah at this moment in time? And and what does that look like when Ephraim's jealousy shall pass away? And that Ephraim will not envy Judah, nor Judah resent Ephraim. Because uh, many times we we see some some different conflicts there, um, and those those jealousies. Yeah, I can see that happening. Just us being jealous that the Savior is over in Jerusalem and mm-hmm. jumping in the temple there, and like, no, you should be over here in this temple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um let's see plunder those let's see but they will swoop on the philistine flank toward the west um it's interesting because like philistine and palestine is the same words and so we see that even today that um that animosity is still there 
Then yeah. we'll take Edom and Moab, which is like southern tribes. So is, that, is that like the um, Muslim peoples? The Edom and Moab? The east? Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I would think so, because if we're looking at um, Israel there, that's where like Ishmael goes off to and east and south, uh, kind of where that Edom and Moab is. Okay. Yeah, I would think that that would be a good fit. For I see us. Moab and I think of arches. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Interesting that that you say that because even in their architecture, in the actual Moab over here, not Moab, Utah, it's signified by arches as well. I mean, oh, really? Their architecture has, uh, as far as the uh, the Arabic Muslim influence of architecture, they have lots of arches. But then when you're saying that, Tukunjiga is like, oh yeah. And then we have this big Moab arch down here too. <laughs> um, let's see. And then uh, Jehovah will dry up the tongue of the Egyptian sea by his mighty wind, which is very interesting because they depend on that so much he will extend his hand over the river and smite it into seven streams to provide a way on foot and so that one was interesting when uh, comparing it to like the uh, adam and eve story the the genesis creation uh, we have the the four mighty rivers coming out of the tree of life but here he will extend his hand over the river meaning the antichrist and smite it into seven streams to provide a way on foot. Um, you know, we, we see that kind of prophecy playing out in different ways where the, uh, the highway from the north where people uh, return to, to Zion mm -hmm. from that. There shall be a pathway out of Assyria for the remnant of his people who shall be left as there was for Israel when it came up out of the land of Egypt. Hmm. So yeah, we have lots of things be happening cool. in that facilitate um, category. I've always wondered if it does happen over there, what if all of the internet and stuff is down and we just don't, don't know about it? it. <laughs> yeah, we won't even know it. That's the good thing. We need to become 144,000 so we can just look in our Urim and Thummim and, and know what's happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll yeah. I, seriously what we're so connected to technology and stuff how are we going to know when some of this stuff happens if like, our grid goes down or if if some of these things transpire like we are, are hoping they don't but you know they probably will i think so yeah but yeah so um we see in another section of of this website here um we have all of the the four figures the Davidic, the warrior, etc., broken down into their uh, different categories here. So uh, we talked about new exodus, new wandering there, uh, new conquest as well. Um, but this new creation part, which is an interesting one. Um, in the, like when we were studying in Isaiah Decoded, we're looking at Isaiah's ladder to, to heaven. There's seven uh, rungs of the ladder. And every single one of them is a new creation. Anytime that you ascend the ladder and receive a new name with a new purpose or a new mission to, to fulfill, that is, is called recreation. 
And so this new creation that the Davidic figure brings in, I think is very interesting. It says that sovereignty may be extended and peace have no end, that on the throne of David and over his kingdom, his rule may be established and upheld by justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. So it's one of those unconditional covenants, whereas um, Davidic covenant is, is a kind of a conditional type thing. Um, here we're, we're seeing a, a turn on that. The, and the zeal of Jehovah of hosts will accomplish it. Um, anyway, I, I found that, I found it interesting because I don't know what it means, but I'm starting to kind of learn it piece by piece what the new creation is for the Davidic servant. Um, as we kind of line out uh, some of his different characteristics or prophecies about him, uh, that he'll be marred beyond all recognition. Um, he won't even have a human likeness kind of a thing. But yet, as he goes through all of this for um, God's people, that his rule may be established and upheld by justice and righteousness, um, that justice and righteousness leaning to Christ and, and the Davidic servant there, um, but a, a new creation. So he even ascends at this very time himself as he's descending below for, for us kind of a thing. Anyway, so yeah, there, there's a lot. <laughs> Isn't he already is on the seraph level? This um, new Davidic uh, servant, end time servant. Uh -huh, yeah, so when does he attain that, that status, that seraph <laughs> level or, or savior level? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, is he going to ascend up to the savior level? Eventually, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the, the new creation of him on the seraph level. Oh. So Does by going through all of this... It, it's that descent before he is newly created as a seraph kind of thing. Oh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. Now, so this new exodus mm -hmm. is, what do you understand about that? I understand that, everything. What do you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> isn't that when the 10 tribes return? Yes. Is part of them. So if you have an exodus, uh, the pattern, like the old exodus, they had a Passover. Is there a new Passover? I believe so, yes. And I think we're experiencing that. And what, okay, enlighten me. What you're thinking. I don't know. Um, so... Let, let's just take the, the story of, of Moses and kind of piece it out. So Moses goes to Pharaoh. So the Davidic servant goes to the Antichrist and says, let my people go. Right? And there's 10 plagues, lots of things happening. But through that, there's a Passover motif where Moses receives revelation saying, hey, if everyone will paint their doorposts with the, the blood of the lamb, 
the destroying angel for the tenth plague will pass over. And so. Oh. Because we're going to go through those plagues again, right? Yeah. So the path. I don't know. I'm probably okay. It's talking too soon before I think this through. Oh, it's okay. Talk out loud. <laughs> <laughs> but as those who become um, 144,000 have those sealing powers and stuff and are able to help those that need help, you know, is that kind of the. Yeah, for sure. So, like, what actually enabled the destroying angel to pass over the, the Israelites in Moses' time? I mean, a destroying angel is somebody who has the sealing power and is um, uh, can deal out God's justice as well as God's mercy kind of a thing. And so, I mean, I think we're very much talking about seraphs completing what, what Moses uh, was was prophesying there and so i think it'll be the same at the end time that um the the antichrist that is raised up will be uh he's kind of typified as god's left hand his his arm of judgment kind of thing yet seraphim can counteract that you know and and help that pass over us but we have to have a similar mark you know like that was the the blood on the doorpost but we have to have the father's name written on our foreheads. And yeah. that only happens on the son servant level upward. As far as I know, I could be wrong. Don't quote me, but I, I that's what I'm so, gathering from, from reading. Could it be that um, the 144,000 um, are the the pattern of Gideon's army. Interesting, yes. And I think like Hezekiah's as well. That's really interesting. That is. Because like with Hezekiah, he prayed, he made an intercession for his people, and then the destroying angel went out and killed a lot of the, the army, right? at night but then in Gideon's army the same thing kind of happens there's 300 of them but they don't actually have to kill anyone they just have to do the the motions really I mean they're just I, I think it's the same with Jericho now that we're pulling different references in there and stuff they're just doing the little bits I mean they're they're performing on the the sun servant level uh, yeah. they have to bring their trumpets and their torches but it's the destroying angel that goes in and, and kills, right? And, and performs the Lord's work there when they're up against a, an army like that. Mm -hmm. that the 144,000, the seraphs, they, they play a major role in this end time thing. They're not only going out and gathering the elect, but they're also protecting the the righteous that yeah. can't really protect themselves 
because they yeah, have because the healing power that helps um, with that. Yeah. And so, like, look at Abraham's story as well with the, the three messengers coming to Sodom and Gomorrah. They are both saving and destroying. Like, mm-hmm. they were sent there to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but yet they, they're pulling out the righteous first. You know, they're acting in that Passover uh, thing. What's the, the woman's name? Is it Rahab that puts the red thread in her window? Yes. Rahab. Yeah. So like that story as well plays into it. Like, I think we see the story all throughout the scriptures. We just have never put them together in their proper context. You know, like all of these things follow the pattern. So I'm going back to this Passover thing. Mm-hmm. Would it be possible that like we hear of these tent cities and, and different places of refuge where uh, that uh, the righteous will congregate to. And, uh, and they talk about the going, the circumference of the border yeah. of that. And that sets up this protection for that community. Yeah. So in a way that might be the the Passover thing is stay away here. This is protected. Yeah. So in when we were reading the from the Abraham book, we talked about the I think he called it ordinance, the ordinance of walking the perimeter. Yeah, um, he did call it that. And I think that that's a, a very real thing. We just don't ever talk about it or know about it. But um, anytime that the the Lord establishes the Abrahamic covenant of uh, a promised land, a posterity, and the priesthood, he the the person that enters into the covenant has to walk the perimeter in order to accept the land that is being gifted, kind of thing. And so, as we are establishing tent cities or cities of light, kind of thing. I think that that we'll be enacting those same type of things. I think we'll be doing Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, Sinai covenant, all all at once kind of thing. And I think that that walking the perimeter uh, provides that protection. But protection is always connected to the Davidic covenant, it seems. So I think that that might play into it as well. I don't know. (laughs) Hmm. There's so much to consider there. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what else you got? (laughs) My brain's just flying. (laughs) So often these, the end time mirrors other things, you know, the pattern is always there. Mm -hmm. And so if you kind of look what the first pattern was, Mm mm-hmm kind of figure it out a little bit i don't know yeah for sure because um what avraham commentates on this is that every time that there's an end time event or person or thing that has a a mirror in his day he uses it but if there's something new in the end times he uses a metaphor and so um to, to try to describe it or, or, or say it kind of a thing. And so, you know, many times we, we have that in scripture where we have things that are just metaphorical, like in the book of Revelation or in Isaiah or um, in, in some of these other prophecies and dreams. 
there's there's things that don't exist yet but everything that has been will be and then there's going to be actual additional new things that that they have metaphorically tried to describe and warn us about so that we can prepare all of that all in one <laughs> it's going to be a fun few years <laughs> it really will be interesting how all this plays out yeah and I think that, that you know, one of the, the testimonies of, of all of this is you want to stay on the Lord's side because yeah. we can see all of the bad stuff that's happening. I don't want any part of that. So even though the, the, the righteous stuff is hard and takes work and effort and Davidic level covenants, it, it's so worth it to be on the Lord's side <laughs> through yeah. all of this. Uh, yeah. You can't just go back to sleep and, and rip Van Winkle this. You, you have to, to get... On top game. of it, you have to wake up and you have to wake other people up to uh, the reality of what's happening, how close we really are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, so that's basically what I've got for that Isaiah Explorer. Hopefully that tool isn't so daunting that you never venture into it again. Um, I, I tried to start us off easy with the Isaiah Explained website, looking and playing around with that. Um, but this week and next week, I'm, I'm going to be using this Isaiah Explorer just because the tools on here are so um, comprehensive. Like this Chiasm Explorer here is amazing. Um, so let me flip a picture, maybe. I don't have the picture handy. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Just like that. So this is the, the chiasm of uh, chapters 41 through 46. I mean, you can see how intense this chiasm is, right? I mean, it goes from A all the way down to O. So on Isaiah Explorer, it has this chiasm viewer. Sorry for zooming in and stuff, make it sick. So as you highlight over A, it will adjust the chiasm. So all you're doing is focusing on the verses that match. So let me zoom in here so we can see it even better. So as we look at A versus A, B versus B, um, it, it really helps us hone into the chiastic structure here. It's a, it's a very handy tool and we'll be using that next week um, for sure to, to look at the, the creation and chaos motifs. So we're gonna be going through the Eden story over and over and over again next week with this chaos creation. There's always chaos before things recreate. And so um, every time that we are reborn on a new level of the ladder, we have to go through chaos first. There's a descent before ascent kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. I, <laughs> this this website's pretty daunting to, to look at and, and try to navigate. It's taken me forever, but I find it very handy to compare translations side by side. Um, you can uh, pop back and forth between all of those, see everything very handily there. Um, wow. let, let me stop sharing that. Hopefully, <laughs> these these chapters are are probably some of the hardest ones for me to just like wrap my head around and, and kind of push through. Um, but 
as we build upon the, the ruin and rebirth principles and then go through the rebellion and compliance, and now we're building on with punishment and deliverance, we're starting to see the promised blessings of keeping the commandments, of living up to our potential, ascending the ladder, etc. Um, uh, all it takes, I mean, there's only two sides. There's, there's either good or evil. And uh, there's a pattern and, and precedent for, for both sides. And so you can, can see where you're at, how you need to change, etc., and and work towards your salvation and the salvation of those around you. Um, but as we seek for protection in the, the days of tribulation and, and things that are coming, um, I think that all of this is going to be crucial, but you know, we, <laughs> I, just today I, I was hearing somebody reference Isaiah like, oh yeah, well, the bullet couldn't pass through Isaiah, uh, the Isaiah chapters of the Book of Mormon. It, like sometimes we just take it so tongue in cheek, but really we need to like start diving in because Isaiah's every, it's where it's at. The whole gospel is, is contained here and it's, it's so fun and fascinating to study. Uh, once you have kind of a, some training wheels or, or a tutor to, to kind of go through it with. And so I'm very grateful for Avraham and all of his commentaries and then for everyone to, to show up and uh, be part of a book club to get all these ideas fleshed out. Um, so as you were just going through that summary thing, like a little light went on for me. All right. I know everybody's already got this, but I just like <laughs> Okay, you, got you got the punishment and the deliverance. That's what uh, we're studying the next two weeks. Yeah. Well, the Lord uses the anti-Christ, anti-tyrant to do the punishment of the wicked. That's who he uses. Well, he uses the end time servant to do the delivering the deliverance mm -hmm. anyway yeah and so that goes back to what janet was talking about in group a how do we know that there is an end time servant that it's not just christ himself because if we're taking a look at it it's jehovah that has a left hand and a right hand it's not jehovah and then his left hand's off doing stuff it's that he raises up the antichrist to punish the wicked and he raises up the end time servant to um, to deliver kind of thing. There, there's three people. There's this triangle of, of things happening here. But yeah, very interesting points that um, in three weeks, we'll, we'll see the humiliation and exaltation part coming into play. But um, anyway, very, very interesting. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, anyone have Thank anything you. else? <laughs> My brain's kind of fried this Sunday. Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so much to study. Anyway, um, we will catch you all on the flip side for for part two. Part two is going to be a, an intense week. <laughs> Just warning you. There, there's a lot of motifs and, and stuff to cover. Uh, Isaiah really crams a lot there in uh, chapters 41 through 46. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. Have a great week. <laughs> we'll see y'all. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye.